Welcome to Thursday on the Piero Pelka podcast. It's Mike, and oh my, there's a lot happening. Let's start things off with something that happened yesterday at the White House. They had a competition. I didn't even know this was going on, but we had uh, White House Idol. It's the White House version of American Idol with the uh, South Korean president, Yoon, singing American Pie. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. And now I knew if I had my chains, that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. February made me shiver With a paper I deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't have one more step I can't remember if I tried when I Read about his widow bride Something touched me deep inside The day the music died yeah, the crowd went nuts. Uh, there was one jack wagon in the middle of the audience who kept going, wow, wow. Probably was Joe. No, it wasn't the president. But there was somebody, I don't know if you listened, this was just such a wacky crowd. You'll hear it. Somebody keeps yelling, wow. Well, the There's the wow. <laughs> Afterwards, uh, and the applause was plentiful. And why not? South Korea is a friend of this country. Uh, Joe Biden said thank you, and he was impressed. He didn't want to sing, though. Uh, don't expect me to sing his song. <laughs> I can barely speak. Yeah, I wish the translator's mic had been cut. He said, don't expect me to sing. I can barely speak. We know that, Joe. We understand that. We're hip to that. I, I, I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Well, we'll argue that, too. Yesterday, there were big events at the White House. We covered a little bit in yesterday's podcast with Joe Biden answering questions about his age. His age. And he said he couldn't even say the number. Yes. With regard to age, uh, I can't even say, I guess, how old I am. I can't even say the number. It doesn't, it doesn't register with me. Well, you also can't hold up that many fingers and toes. It's a lot. It's a whole lot. As a matter of fact, if Joe Biden wins, God forbid, the 2024 election and makes it all the way to the end of his term, he will be four million years old. Now, yesterday, Ted Cruz made some headlines when he said Joe Biden was 147 years old. On Larry Kudlow's show, and the left is, of course, outraged. Outraged! How dare you? It's called hyperbole, people. Look into it. Yeah, so that happened after the Rose Garden event, which really was no big deal until we learned that the president not only had his list of approved reporters on which to call, because they only asked two questions, but he also had the questions ahead of time. He had the names of the reporters, where they are from, a photo of them, and and the questions they had submitted. 
Now, you can't do the okey-doke and submit a question and then change it. So Joe knew what was coming at him. He knew everything that was coming down the pike. And that's why he sounds halfway coherent in those events. Because they're not able to really hit him with a real question. Anybody who has a real question isn't going to get called on. Anybody who wants to know about Hunter and the gun charges and all of the money that the Biden crime family has been shoveling into sacks and taking away from China and Ukraine and Russia, etc. Uh, those questions will never be allowed at these kind of events. Speaking of Hunter, yesterday, Hunter's attorneys apparently met with the Department of Justice and uh, CNN actually reported on this. This actually happened on CNN yesterday. And I'm kind of surprised. First on CNN, lawyers for Hunter Biden met with Justice Department officials today. The president's son is under federal investigation for tax evasion. CNN's Paula Reed joins me now with more on this. Apollo, what more do we know about this meeting and who was there? Well, we know this was a meeting between some of Hunter Biden's criminal defense attorneys and top Justice Department officials. Now, our colleagues Eileen Grave and Steve Williams caught that exclusive video. There you can see one of Hunter Biden's attorneys, Chris Clark, along with some of his associates entering that building which is the Justice Department headquarters in Washington. And on Friday, we broke the story that there would be a meeting between these two sides. And that is significant because there has not been a public development in this criminal investigation into the president's son in nearly a year. Nearly a year. Nothing has been said publicly about this. Nothing. Paula Reed went on to um, highlight or go deeper on what she was talking about here. Well, it's interesting how little has changed since our colleague Evan Perez reported last summer the prosecutors had really narrowed down the charges to potentially uh, some tax charges and possibly one false statement charge related to the purchase of a gun and not disclosing his addiction. But then nothing happened for nearly a year. And at this point, it's unclear whether they got any disposition on the case. I was told by sources not to expect one, but we're still reporting out exactly what happened when these two sides met. And of course, at this point, the Justice Department is not commenting. No, of course not. And it's been a year. Now, the, um, the firearms problem is a felony. Lying on a background check form is a felony. Up to 10 years in prison. He'll get nothing. There will be nothing. But I don't know how you avoid additional charges after everything we've learned from the laptop unless they're going to try and hit him with a couple of charges and hope that the story goes away and his daddy gives him a pardon. This is just so irritating because no accountability appears to be at hand. No accountability. He bought a gun illegally and then disposed of it illegally. Just a absolute stupid stuff, illegal stuff, and there should be consequences, but I doubt there will be. Uh, speaking of consequences, when you uh, spend a lot of money that you don't have, and then you raise interest rates to try and slow down people's spending, you have inflation. We've all learned that. Well, now we've also learned that the uh, gross, domestic, gross domestic product, our GDP, as it's called, the first quarter numbers came out just before we started to uh, record the podcast today. And things aren't really looking good for 
us. Things aren't looking great for America when it comes to our GDP. Now, it was uh, the fourth quarter of 2021, a year and a half ago, fourth quarter of 2021, when the GDP hit 7% and everybody was going, yay, Biden's fixed everything. But we knew that wasn't really true. That wasn't the reality. Because we were coming out of the pandemic, then inflation started taking hold. And the first quarter of 22, GDP went down. Second quarter of 22, GDP went down. We had a little spike last summer. And today we got the numbers. And Christine Romans over at uh, CNN gave us the reporting. Now, I, I preface this by saying I think Christine Romans is an actual journalist. Yeah, she probably has some liberal leanings. But when she reports on financial stuff, I think she gives you the straight up scoop. So this was Romans just before we started recording the podcast. This is a rearview mirror, but it shows us the first three months of the year, the economy slowed a bit, little bit, Caitlin. 1.1% is the growth here in the U.S. economy in January, February, and March. And you can see how that compares, how that is a slowdown from the last quarter of last year, which was 2.6%, and certainly from the middle of last year, which was a strong uh, 3.2%. Uh, so this is a slowdown. What are, what's happening here? You've got high inflation still. It's coming off the boil of last summer, but inflation is still uh, too high here. And you've got interest rates that have been going up for a year now. So I think this is what it looks like when you see those interest rates so high for over a year. And the government says there was an increase in consumer spending. So the consumer is still strong in the first part of the year, but a decrease in inventory builds and inventory investments. That's businesses cautious and pulling back. Yeah. And we're seeing layoffs in businesses now. This 1.1% number is a bad number. This 1.1% number is not going to sit well with the financial markets. And if businesses are not creating inventory, then that means there are going to be fewer products, which is going to force prices higher. This is not a good place to be. This was much lower than expectations. And if we go back to um, the fourth quarter of 21, when our GDP was 7%, and you look at 1.1% this quarter, this past quarter, the downward trend is palpable. It is going in the wrong direction here. And yet Joe Biden is going to tell everybody that everything is fine. Jobless claims came out today. They are near a 17-month high. That is a warning light for uh, recession. A big warning light for recession. So buckle up, people. This would be a good time to get rid of any debt you have now. Get rid of as much of it as you can and don't spend stuff uh, buying stuff that you don't need to. We have a lot of water to get through, rough water ahead of us. This administration has screwed things up and we are going to be the ones who pay for it. Thanks a lot, Joey. Thank you very much. Uh, there were some other uh, government events happening yesterday. Uh, we got the news that the, uh, the House passed the bill that would extend the debt ceiling if we had some limits on spending. This was McCarthy's plan that he put out, that Schumer said his debt on arrival, that Biden said, well, we don't have a plan yet. 
Kevin McCarthy stepped up in front of the cameras after the bill passed. You said at the very beginning we had to show you a plan, even though the Democrats have shown no plan. Not only did we show you a plan, we're the only ones to pass a plan. So I think it's up to you now. Whether the economy goes in any trouble, it's you, because the Republicans raised the debt limit. You have not. Neither has Schumer. So Joe Biden's still refusing to even negotiate with the Republicans. Not even negotiating, even though he said back in 2011 and 2012 that you have to negotiate, even though the GOP has said we're going to raise it another one point five trillion. Now, we bought a little time because yesterday we got the news that the uh, tax receipts came in a little higher than expected. So we've got another month of time before the debt ceiling is reached. That means Joe Biden can still do nothing for another month. And the worry is that the economy will continue this downward spiral and things will look worse and worse. The layoffs, the big layoffs, which are coming, they're continuing to come in every day. Those layoffs are going to start pressing on the economy. Maybe this will force them to stand up and do something. Also in a hearing yesterday, this was kind of fun, in the House. Yesterday in the House we had... uh, a hearing on the, on what's going on on our southern border and what's going on is absolutely absolutely horrific, and the uh, the Biden administration is complicit in child trafficking, and they don't want to do anything, and it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. But a uh, representative, uh, uh, Trey, uh, I think his name is Troy Nayus, uh, was speaking, and he managed to get just an epic slam on Eric Swalwell, second time in a week that somebody has brought up Fang Fang, although this guy called um, <laughs> called Fang Fang Yum Yum, and Eric Swalwell wasn't happy. Mr. Chairman, uh, Ms. Rodriguez, I apologize that you had to. You're here for a hearing on the border. They don't want to talk about a border. Uh, Mr. Swalwell is down there. Obviously, everybody knows he's made some comments. He's got a, a checkered past. He's alleged I'm sorry, relationships. I've checkered past. Alleged, I would ask. Uh, it's my time. Mr. Alleged affairs, relationships past? with Yum Yum. No, 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 yum, no yum. You don't get to say that shit. That, he, that's not true. He had true. alleged relationships and with Yum Yum. I asked the, gen- no, no, the gentleman's no, no, words no, no, be taken no, no. down. You don't get to say Mr. that. Chairman, I asked the gentleman's words be taken down. Is casting a slur on another member. So you heard Swalwell curse and get upset. You heard Jerry Nadler demand that the words be taken down. Those words must be taken down. You heard Pramila Jayapal, another member of the squad, saying, I want those words taken down. Now, in the end, the words were taken down. The words were changed. There was no apology to Mr. Swalwell. But we did talk about the fact that Swalwell had been removed from the Intelligence Committee. That's a prime assignment because he's such a weasel and he's a risk. But I love the fact that the labeling of, of Fang Fang to Yum Yum was allowed to happen. And it obviously triggered Mr. Swalwell. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yeah, I like to see that. I think it's important we keep bringing that up. The guy allegedly, and based on everything we've seen, it looks pretty solid, had an affair with a Chinese honey trap, a spy. And he's not a smart man. Not a smart man at all. Uh, A couple other stories we have to pay attention to. Uh, Free speech is always so important to me. The um, story out of Michigan. 
which um, has students suing after they were forced to remove clothing that said, let's go, Brandon. They had sweatshirts that said, let's go, Brandon. It's, uh, it's free speech, people. The school saying, oh, it's offensive. It's, it's obscene. No. The lawsuit, which was filed by FIRE, that's the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. They love free speech, and I'm kind of fond of this. Uh, makes a very strong case that the schools acted in an unconstitutional fashion in censoring the political message. Let's go, Brandon. It all came from that interview a couple Octobers back when uh, race car driver Brandon Brown won the NASCAR race. And during the uh, during the post-race interview, the crowd was yelling, F Joe Biden, only they weren't saying F. And she said, I think they're saying, let's go, Brandon. And that became the chant that everybody understood meant F Joe Biden. Kids wore the shirts to school. They were also apparently reportedly told they had to take down some Trump shirts and Trump hats and Trump flags. Free speech has to be allowed. Has to be allowed, especially speech that offends you. That's what the First Amendment's all about. And the other things about religion and oppress and the right to address your government and protest, etc. But free speech, especially speech that offends you, cannot be censored. And these people are all about censorship. These people are the ones who want to take away your right to hoot and holler about something that offends you. There are also uh, moves by Democrats in other states to create monitoring of speech that they consider to be hate speech. It's not a crime, but they consider it to be hateful speech, and they want the government to decide and keep an eye on it. And it's really chilling to me. And just remember, the Democrats are always saying, well, the GOP, they're the fascist ones. They want to censor books. No, they don't. They want to limit books, obscene books that can go to kids. There's no censorship. It's protecting children. They're not old enough to make decisions. Although, Democrats think when you're eight, you can decide you can change your gender. They're crazy people. And speaking about that issue of women being replaced by men in sports, uh, Megyn Kelly, Megyn Kelly, you have to respect her for speaking some truth on her show. We don't find our voices and start speaking up against this nonsense. We can kiss every woman's face goodbye. We can kiss women's rights goodbye. We can kiss sororities goodbye. We can take off our tops and our underwear and do our yoga in front of perverted men who just want to get off watching us till the cows come home. Stick your daughter in the sorority. Let them at her. Find your voices, ladies, and the men who support us. Otherwise, this is our future. I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to deal with this shit at, at Tridelt, at Kappa Kappa Gamma, in the women's locker room. You can be supportive of trans people and what they're going through without surrendering to this madness. Well said, Megyn Kelly. Very well said. Women have to be the ones who put a stop to this. Women have to be the ones who ultimately draw the line because you're the ones being erased. I'm glad to hear this coming up. And, and while we're on the subject of women being erased, the Bud Light story continues to get bigger and bigger. 
Uh, new Bud Light sales data is showing what's being called a staggering decline. A staggering decline. Wow. 17% plunge in revenue and a 21% drop in volume of sales. Good job. Good job, woke people. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. All right, we have, um, we have our friend Wendy Patrick joining us. Wendy Patrick is the attorney, the author, uh, the fabulous legal mind. She's a prosecutor. And whenever I have questions about things and there's a big free speech case we have to talk about, I ask Wendy to get in here. And uh, she's on the phone right now. We'll also talk about Wendy's new book as well. My friend, there's a story out of California that hits me because I think it's a First Amendment case. And you know how much I rely on the First Amendment for every part of my life. Uh, this uh, California, Poway, California, has a case about schools or public officials being allowed to block people from following them on social media. Th this is really fascinating. Yeah, you know, um, remember a couple of years ago when President Trump uh, was kind of in the middle of the same type of issue, whether or not he could block people on Twitter. As you can imagine, you know, the trolls come out and they come, they came after him. They were in full force. And when they did so, um, he blocked them and that he was really taken to task. And, you know, the courts were saying, you know what, if you're a public official and you maintain a public page, that's a public forum. And you don't get to block people because that's kind of like a public square, so to speak, digitally. And people can come and say what they want to say. However, What's really caught fire around the country in several different jurisdictions is the question about whether if you are a public official of any kind, can you block people on your page if, if, without it being state action? And the, the question is this, Mike, you know, many people mix business and pleasure. They have a personal Facebook page. They don't use it for business. They want to keep up with their family and see photos of their of grandkids and the pets and of what they had for lunch. But when they start posting about politics, boy, your friends love that, right? But if for whatever reason you choose to do that and, and blur boundaries, does that then transform your personal page into an official forum? The, the lower courts are split as to what the answers are here, which is why it's exactly right for the Supreme Court to make a decision. Yeah, it's fascinating to me that someone's going to actually look at the social media postings of an individual and that individual may have a connection to a government position and decide whether or not those postings blur that line, cross that line, or actually build a wall to separate them. I, I'm, I'm going to pay attention to this one, but does it, does it have any real implications on our lives, Wendy, if, it's, if it goes either way? Yes, if you are a public official, it does, because you will or won't be able to block the trolls. Now, obviously, people can't post on somebody else's page if it's threatening or harassing or if you're becoming a public nuisance or it's cyberbullying. So we already have lots of criminal laws on the books. But that's not really the issue when you have just people that are just posting because they're upset with you. They have nothing better to do, maybe. They you know, can sit in front of their computer and post all day long. Those are the kinds of people that many public officials seek to block. They're, they're basically writing everything on their page. It's just a bunch of noise. And the people that really want to hear what the politicians have to say are just drowned out by these other voices. Can the politicians do that? 
So you're right. You would have to be a public official for this to apply to you because that's part of the constitutional issue. But I would even go farther and say, Mike, what is a public official nowadays? Is, is a dog catcher a public official? Or do you need to be a city council person or on the school board? It's, it's an interesting conundrum, and I think it just represents the evolving, ubiquitous use of social media. Well, I also want to throw in there one other question, Wendy. Since it is social media, since these are private companies in the case of Twitter or public companies in the case of Facebook, why does the government have any say? Does the First Amendment actually apply to those kinds of situations? Well, they would say that why wouldn't it apply if it's a public forum? And that's different. You know, it's different if I'm having a garden party in my backyard, or actually maybe you are because you have a much nicer garden than I do. But, you know, if you're having a private party and you just, you know, there's a couple people there, it's kind of like a private Facebook page or, or something that, you know, it has a limited audience. But if you are mayor of your town and you are hosting a digital public forum, the rules are different, and it's not so much focused on, well, where am I hosting the forum, and is that a private com company? But if you are, is the fact that you are inviting the public, is that something for which people have First Amendment protection if they want to come with a message that you don't want to hear? This is going to be a fun one to watch, and, yeah. and uh, it, it will have repercussions across every platform. Now that I think about it, now that I listen to what you're telling me, wow. And speaking of being a mayor of my town, I'm not mayor of my town, Wendy, but I am mayor of my life and my home. And I, yeah. I wonder how far government reach goes into that. I sent you a story that happened in Arkansas. It's about a, uh, a dad who pierced his son's ear at home, did it at home. And the subject was brought up at school. And then suddenly the child found himself and the home found themselves being visited by the local police and dad ended up being taken away by the local police. They stormed the place with like seven cops. It's crazy. There's video, they're shouting, there's all kinds of things. He was ultimately charged with performing body art, you know, piercing without a license. And um, I I'm just stunned in the era when we're seeing kids allowed to take up different identities at school and maybe even live different lives at school that parents don't seem to have the uh, control or agency over their children that they used to have. This one seems crazy to me. Well, you know, he, this, this uh, parent was also charged with endangering the welfare of a minor, refusal to submit to arrest. So if you look at the, the background, there was a, allegedly, I mean, we weren't there, there's allegedly more to the story than a consensual piercing, so to speak. Remember that, at least according to the news reporting, there was some initial reporting by the students that there was some violence involved. Now, whether or not that's true, we don't know. And, you know, clearly the, you know, the defendant is, the suspect is claiming that there wasn't, as, as I think is the son. But, you know, when you have suspicion, especially when it comes to family violence, sometimes you see law enforcement really taking it seriously and, and hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. And that appears to characterize the entry into the home. <laughs> At the very least, in this case, we know that because that part was caught on video. Um, so, you know, it, it may be more than simply piercing without a license, but it also illustrates the difficulty after the fact 
of sorting through inconsistent statements, sometimes by the same person on different occasions, and doing your best to figure out what happened. So even if a crime was committed, I think the spotlight on many cases is whether or not the response was reasonable. It seems like the response was a tad excessive. Again, in my opinion, if you watch it, but it also came on the heels of the statement made by the president the other day when he talked about children and about the fact that your kids don't belong to you. And I'm a little bit nervous when we start seeing the leader of the free world telling everybody that uh, nobody has ownership of their kids. They belong to all of us. Last time I checked, kids were the property of parents until they reached their majority. (laughs) Did I miss a memo, Wendy? I'll I'll add another layer just to confuse it even farther. Um, Your children belong to God and he lends them to you during this lifetime. But I think the president's remarks, and you've heard me say this before, he either misspoke or he misunderstood the question because your children are under your rules when they're under your roof. That's what most parents would say. And, you know, that's even true sometimes uh, when, they are, when they are finally living on their own and, and, you know, mom and dad are no longer doing the laundry and uh, giving an, an allowance. But clearly this sort of community approach is not what many parents are on board with. It's kind of like the, the argument about the teaching kids in schools. Who raises kids, schools, communities, or parents? I mean, that seems to be one of the issues that not only characterizes the story you and I just covered, the president's remarks, but so many other sources of discontent around the nation in wanting more of an active role in raising your own child. What a, com- what a concept. You want to be involved in raising your own kid. You want to be a part of the conversation and having a seat at the table. Yeah, well, um, the last time I checked the old Latin expression that relates to kids going to school and the role that the school and the educators play is it's uh, and loco parentis, meaning they are the parents when the kids are there. So uh, why can't they be expected to operate or act as the parents would desire them to act? Huh. Well, it's not in loco parentis secretus. Remember, you can't keep those secrets and not allow, the, not allow the parents to have a seat at the table. You can't keep it a secret whether your child wants to gender transition or, or is experiencing bullying or wants to change their name. And, you know, why some of the conversation really deals with the reality of why wouldn't everyone want that to be a more expansive conversation? Why wouldn't the school want, and many do. They want the parents to be involved and learn about what's important to their children. So the in local parentis, I mean, it's a, we're probably glad more people don't cite that because it doesn't mean that you take the place of the parents for all purposes, which sometimes is what ends up being the biggest source of contention, that things go on in the classroom that are not shared with the parents. And that's why we have so many cases, as you've heard me say this before, they go right from the classroom to the courtroom. That could be avoided if the parents were involved earlier. That's a great point, a great point. Our friend Wendy Patrick is always teaching me stuff, and now she's able to teach you stuff. Her new book, Why Bad Looks Good, Biblical Wisdom to Make Smart Choices in Life, Love, and Friendship. It is out now. It's on Amazon. You should get it because you need to make smart choices in life, love, and friendship. And Wendy's got 26 chapters to help you out. My friend, I so appreciate you. Thank you for being there. I can't wait for the next crazy question to pop up so I can bug you. Uh, Sounds good, Mike. Thank you for having me.